So this evening, um, uh, it's a privilege to talk about um, something I believe the Lord has laid in my heart called deliverance. Deliverance, the light perspective. So we're going to be seeing deliverance from a little, um, maybe not our conventional perspective, deliverance, the light perspective. So the icebreaker there is, what is deliverance? And have you ever been delivered? Okay, so this is where we contribute, please. Is that a hand over there? Okay, can we just um, know the hands too? Is anyone else? Anybody else? What is deliverance and have you ever been delivered? Okay, so first, number one. Okay, three. One, two, three, please. Okay. Good evening, church. Good evening. Um, to me, deliverance is when you are set free from something. Okay. When, when you are set free. In short, and yes, I've been delivered a lot of times, but the most recent one was when I had a dream, and in the dream I saw Papi in the dream and an old man in white, and it was like a fellowship with brethren. And during the dream, the white man, the old man in white, just stood up and asked me to come forward and. He just told me to take off my clothes and all, and immediately I did that. I just felt like something was just being taken out of my body, and immediately I saw someone outside run mad immediately, like instantly. Yeah. So I woke up, and I felt the same ease I felt in the dream in real life, so, and I believe that like a complete deliverance from God himself. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. That's, that's huge. Okay, number two. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Please, you can sit. We okay. can hear you. Okay, go on. To be delivered means to be liberated. Okay. I, I mean, to be liberated, to be set free, to, for God to... Um, Deliver, oh, I'm using the word delivered again, but how okay. to be liberated from something. Okay. Um, Have you been delivered? God, yeah, yeah, several times. You find yourself in narrow misses. You know that um, some years back, I was involved in an accident. The car was a write-off. Somewhere in Umaya. And what shocked me, I was, as if I knew was on an official assignment and I kept t talking to my driver, what's your speed, this, as if I knew something would happen. But when it eventually, the, it was that, it was a head-on collision with a tanker that was loaded with LPFO. Wow. And when it happened, it was, it was to choose the better way to die. But you see, I mean, if you had a GT, hitch, a ditch on your left and on your right, and my driver was overtaking, and was, if you're a bit familiar with the Lagos, I mean, um, Enugu, Port Harcourt Road, 
it was after the roundabout in Uma here. So there was a ditch on your left and a ditch on the right. The driver was overtaking and another truck was driving against traffic. I have done a lot of engineering, but I cannot explain how the vehicle came back behind the truck that we were overtaking, and God allowed the, the truck coming the other way. After the head passed, my truck fell. I mean, it was in the Hilux. It fell. And yeah, God did not allow us to go under the truck. Hallelujah. And nothing I only sustained injuries when we were trying to get out of the truck. I have done so many things to imagine how it only has taken God mm. to deliver. Hallelujah. Out Hallelujah. Of that. Hallelujah. Praise God. There are several deliverances. Thank you. Thank you for that. I mean, that's mind blowing. So, God does deliver. Is there anybody here that feels um, that's not been delivered before? Anybody here? Yeah? Anybody here? Any hand? Let's deliver you immediately. <laughs> Praise God. So, yes, I, I concur with um, the responses from our brothers. Um, m- my own definition of deliverance, I'll take it, I'll read a Bible scripture and uh, I'll take a definition of that. Colossians 1, um, 13 and 14. This is for every one of us as Christians in the body of Christ. It says in the voice translation, you have rescued us from dark paths and brought us safely into the kingdom of your son whom you love and in whom you, we are redeemed and forgiven of our sins through his blood. I, I like the way the, um, the Living Bible Transition says, it says you have rescued us out of darkness and the gloom of Satan's kingdom. You know, this is our year of light. Light is shining. We are no longer in gloom, you know, for, for those of us that are in, in the faith and has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. And then the Amplified Version says that the Father has delivered, everybody say delivered, has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. Hallelujah. That's profound. So what that means is that for every one of us seated in this place, Provided you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you may have not had the near-death experience the Lord delivered you from. You may not have had the dream where, I mean, Pastor God used um, the, what I call it now, the um, appearance of Pastor to come to you to pray for you and deliver you from a situation. But guess what? The Bible says you have been delivered. That is a good reason for us to be excited about our faith. Hallelujah. Okay, so uh, before we proceed, I, I want us to watch a, a one-minute clip, a video, um, then we can continue our conversation from there. Okay, what was in that video? Um, the video is about how um, some monkeys, five monkeys were put in a, in a room, and then a banana was put on top of a ladder. And then um, every time one monkey tries to go up and get, many of us have seen, it's a, it's a very popular video, go up and get that banana, um, the, the scientists that were conducting the experiment would spray very cold water on the other monkeys, you know, and then they would charge. So um, what happened was that anytime any monkey wants to go up, because they expect that pain of cold water, they would beat that monkey to stop the monkey from going up. So after a while, none of the monkeys wanted to climb up that ladder again for the fear of being beaten. So what did the scientists do? They took out, they started taking out one monkey each. They took out one monkey and replaced it with a fresh monkey that did not know what was going on. So that monkey would try to climb up. The other four monkeys that were used to the beating would charge at that monkey and beat it to stupor. 
it stopped climbing up. So like that, it kept on changing, and it changed all five monkeys. After changing the five monkeys, what happened? The banana was up there. You know monkeys love bananas, don't we? But guess what? None of the monkeys attempted to climb the ladder. And if you go into that setting and ask the monkeys, why are you not climbing ladder? They'll tell you, I don't know. They, I mean, they're living in bondage, but they don't know why they're living in bondage. That is a, that's, that can epitomize the kind of life a lot of people live. You're doing things, you're saying stuffs, you don't even know why you do those things, you don't know why you say those things. But guess what? Deliverance has come because the scientists had stopped pouring cold water on those monkeys. I also remember an illustration about um, a monkey. See, I mean, don't worry about the video anymore. About a monkey, um, Pastor gave a long time ago, I think earlier in my, in my days in church, he has repeated a couple of times. It's about how scientists also put um, a glass ceiling, I'm just paraphrasing my understanding, a glass ceiling over a monkey. Let's say the glass ceiling was um, um, two feet tall. You know, monkeys can jump very high. So for every time the monkey tries to jump up, he hits the glass ceiling and it goes back down. So the monkey tries to jump, the glass ceiling forms a barrier and the monkey goes back down. After a while, when they take out the glass ceiling, the monkey is not able to jump more than, let's say if it was two feet, more than two feet, that was the limitation that was placed over the, the monkey. So even though um, the glass had been taken off, there was an imaginary glass, an imaginary ceiling over the monkey that stopped the monkey from jumping to its full capacity. But the monkey had been delivered. The monkey had been delivered. So, what are we trying to say? This is our year of light. If you were individuals, a lot of prophecies have gone forth. Declarations have gone forth. If you're going to do your own personal study, you can understand that light is, is, is huge. Light is, I mean, is grand in the scheme of things. But are we still going to walk, talk, think, and act like people that have not been delivered in our subconscious? Because it takes a conscious thing for you to live as someone that has been delivered. So our opening text there is from John 5. I'll read from verse 1 to 9 real quickly to emphasize this um, teaching. So um, the Bible says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches, crowds of sick People blind, lame, or paralyzed lay on the porches as all kinds of oppressed people. One of them lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Will you be made whole? Verse 7, that's the man's response. I can't, sir. The sick man said, for I have no one to put, to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. So someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on a Sabbath day. Verse 7, very important. Jesus asked the man a question. What was the man's response? I can't. I am in, I'm like the monkey. I can't climb up the stairs. I, I can't jump more than two feet. 
their limitations over me. That, that wasn't what Jesus asked him. Jesus asked him, would, I mean, paraphrasing now, would you be delivered from 38 years of bondage? Just like he's asking us today. Would you be delivered from 38 years of bondage? The man says, I can't. I can't. You know, Jesus, the man was expecting, maybe the man, I don't know, maybe he was expecting um, a, a different kind of deliverance where Jesus just comes and just, you know, tells, levitates him by his power and then throws him into the pool of Bethesda, if that is his, um, his source of healing. But Jesus came with a different mind, mindset because Jesus was deliverance in himself and says, will you be made whole? But the man says, I can't. So for sake of definition in this teaching, let's look at deliverance from um, the Hebrew root words. I did a bit of research and I found that deliverance was so broad, I mean so broad, so, so broad. The, the first um, translation was from a word called teshua, teshua. And that word stood for or stands for salvation, deliverance, that's in the word deliverance. That, that deliverance is usually from God through human beings. It, it, it stood for help, it stood for victory, it stood for rescue, and it stood for safety. I, I did um, further research, um, and I saw another kind of deliverance. This word, this word was translated atsala, and atsala in this case, so if you're writing, you could fill out. The first one is from Hebrews Teshua, the second one is from atsala. Atsala was used to describe escape and relief, deliverance. This word was the word that Mordecai used when he was sending a message back to Esther, this Atsala word, saying to Esther that, look, you think you're in the palace and then evil will not come to you when I'm telling you to go and intercede on behalf of Israel with the king. That is the word um, uh, Mordecai used there in Esther 14. And it says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief escape and relief will come for the Jews. It will come from somewhere else. That's the word, Atsala. I also found out that deliverance um, also stemmed from another word called Yashor. Yashor. Spelled Y-A-S-H-A-H but um, pronounced Yashor. Which also means, this is a different type, means to be preserved, saved, rescued as well. And, and you can see that root meaning in Exodus um, 1430, when the Lord says, thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hands of the Egyptians, when the Lord rescued Israel from Egypt, the word saved there was Yeshua. It's another kind of deliverance. So looking at, uh, we're going to, for most of this teaching, we want to focus on um, Teshua because of the emphasis we're trying to bring out. So I just want to look at some few um, deliverance, examples of deliverance um, from the Bible under Teshua. So the first is First Samuel eleven nine, and the Bible says, So Saul sent out the messengers back to Jabesh Gilead to say, We will Teshua, that is rescue you by noontime tomorrow. There was a great joy throughout the town when that message arrived. What had happened there was the, the Aramites had come, threatened the people of Israel. They had no help. Saul had just been ordinated, uh, uh, anointed king of Israel. So Saul said to them, now, don't worry, I'm, I'm the strong guy. God is with me. In fact, the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he was angry, he was enraged, that he even took his oxen at the time and he 
tore it into pieces, shared it around Israel, and he sent a message to these guys that I am coming to deliver you. So what he was saying there is you will be rescued. That is the deliverance by God through a human being. That's our first definition. By God through a human being, through human agency. So he rescued them collectively with the entire people of Israel in that case. The second one is um, in 2 Kings 5. We look at verse 1. It's the story of Naaman. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Israel, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him, by Naaman, this is not even a Christian now, or a, a Jew. By him, the Lord had given victory, Teshua, again, to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. So here we see deliverance meaning victory. The Lord brought deliverance, victory, unto Syria, a pagan nation, if you will, if you will through one man. And we know the story of Naaman. He eventually interacted with uh, the God of Israel and he got his healing. So the next one, um, Judges 15, 18, still on victory. He says, by then he was thirsty. This is talking about um, um, Samson. And he called on the Lord saying, you have granted the great victory. You have granted this great victory by the hand of your servant. I'm, 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 and I'm, and I'm, I'm now to die of thirst and fall into the hands of this uncircumcised, of these pagans. There, something was saying to the Lord that it is you that gave me deliverance. So, deliverance came through for the Jews by the hand of Samson. Go again to 2 Kings 13, 17, for emphasis. Elisha said, this time we're looking at it in the place of safety. Elisha said, open the east window. This is a scripture pastor used to teach us over and over again. Open the east window, and the king opened it. Then he said, shoot, and he shot. The arrow of God's salvation, Elisha exclaimed. The arrow of safety, of deliverance from Aram. You will do battle against Aram until there's nothing left of them. There's nothing left of them. So, this, this definition of salvation here is a protection from risk, harm, and destruction. So we can also see deliverance as a protection from risk, harm, and destruction. Follow me. I'm going somewhere. First Samuel 19.5 says, For he did, put his life in his, he, he did put his life in his hands and slew the Philistines. This is talking about David. When Jonathan was interceding for David. And the Lord wrought a great salvation, protection from risk, harm, and destruction for all Israel. Thou sowest it, and this rejoice. Wherefore then would thou sin against innocent blood to slay David? This was a son speaking to his father and saying, you cannot touch this man because this man has been a source of deliverance for Israel. What? I mean, there are lots of deliverance stories in the Bible, and one night is not sufficient to go through all them. But what are we trying to bring out here? That... All these deliverances we mentioned, not one of them, not one of them, right, um, took signs and wonders per se. It didn't take um, God sending, you know, coming down with whirlwinds and stuff like that. But they were delivered. They were delivered. Salvation came. Victory was ensured by the hands of God. They were safe by the hands of God. So, we want to do a further study on deliverance and their implication. So, 
lessons from Bible stories, father deliverance stories. Lessons. The first one there is the three Israeli boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel 3, 16 to 28. It's a long read, so I'll take out some parts for emphasis. You can do the remaining study at home. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Nebuchadnezzar, we are not worried about what will happen if we are thrown into the flaming furnace. Our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. But if he doesn't, please understand, sir, that even when we will, even then, we will never under any circumstance serve your God or worship the gold statue you have erected. What had happened here? Nebuchadnezzar had erected a, a, gold, a statue 99 feet tall and said, everybody must bow to that statue at the sound of the big old. But these three boys defied him. They defied him. He took them, threw them into the burning furnace. But what? God came and God delivered them. So the question is, what was the effect of this deliverance of these three Hebrew boys? I read verse 28. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar said, after God delivered them, Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. Nebuchadnezzar was the strongest king in the realm at the time. He made this decree. If any people, wherever, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into the heaps of rubbles. There is no other God who can rescue like this God. Hallelujah. So, what was the effect of the deliverance of these boys? My thinking, possibly other Jews began to speak up about their God, Yahweh. Possibly other good, uh, Jews began to proclaim the name of God in a society where they were stifled by the king himself. Why? Because the king now has given an edict that says, you know what, all of you Christians, so to speak, can begin to call upon the name of the Lord anytime he wants. Why? Because three people stood up, the Lord delivered them. Of course, this one by sign and wonder, by showing up in the fire. And then everybody could call upon the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Number two, the story of Elisha and the king of Israel and Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram. You can see that story in 2 Kings, verse 6. Um, I'll fast forward to verse 24. You can do the study yourself. It says, sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted for so long that donkey's head, donkey's head, sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. One day, as the king of Israel was walking along the wall, along the wall of the city, a woman called to him, Please help me, my lord, the king. He answered, If the lord doesn't help you, what can I do? I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. But then the king asked, What is the matter? She replied, This woman said to me, Come, let's eat your son today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and ate him. And the next day I said to her, 
kill your son so we can eat him. But she hid her son. I mean, that scripture, you can gloss through the scripture, but that scripture connotes, I mean, that is deep darkness. That is deep darkness. You know, you think about it, um, in, in the world we are today, you know the way the role mother plays in the lives of children. If he says the father, the father said he should cook the son, I can argue. But the mother, the one that carried the child for nine months, the one that nurses the child, said, let us eat your son. And they actually cooked the boy. And they ate the boy. That, that denotes hopelessness. So these people were oppressed and living in bondage and they needed deliverance. And quickly too. So, what happened? The king tore his clothes and he, he started to I, I, I mean, I cut the blame straight to the wrong person. He says that we have the head of Elisha today. This is Elisha. If you read preceding scriptures, um, chapters, Elisha had been helping him, even with this king of um, Aram. So, what happened? When he, fast forward to chapter 7, Elisha replied, this is Elisha's response to this situation. Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. The word of the Lord has gone forth, shine, and you will shine in Jesus' name. Listen to that word from the Lord. He says, this is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. And 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the window of heaven and came down. But Elisha replied, you will see it with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat of it. Elisha declared deliverance in this scripture, in the short term. And the high-ranking official disdained it. And that sealed the man's destiny. May we not disdain prophecies in Jesus' name. May we take the prophecy that light has come seriously in the name of Jesus. May we take the prophetic of shine in the name of Jesus seriously. May he make meanings to our minds in the mighty name of Jesus. So what was the effect of this deliverance? Simple. The economy of Israel was restored overnight. So much so that those people that even fled, the, the woman, the Shunammite that had fled, the Bible says that she came back, went to meet the king, when the king was questioning Gehazi about Elisha. But tell me about this guy, this guy that makes these things happen. When he was questioning, the woman shows up and the king says, you know what, this is, the, Gehazi says, this is the woman I was telling you about, that Elisha raised up uh, a son from the dead deliverance. And the the king says, you know what, okay, restore our lands to her. So, but the question is, what happened to the man that disdained the prophecy? He was trampled and he died. So imagine, they were in a state of hopelessness, light came, their lives were transformed. While there was rejoicing in Israel, guess what? There was mourning somewhere in the king's quarters, because that was a high-ranking official who would have been living close to the king. His wife and children would have been mourning the demise of their patriarch. May that not be our portion in Jesus' name. Say amen. Amen. Number three. The story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John 4. Soon, a Samaritan woman came from verse 7 to draw water and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. There you already see darkness. 
she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. I fast forwarded now to verse 19 because Jesus began to engage her. The fact that a Jew first was speaking to a Samaritan was a big deal for her, to her. Secondly, the fact that he was telling her deep things that only a prophet, someone that was under the unction of God could, could know, was also a big deal for her. So she said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Why we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied her, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Why we Jews know all about him? For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Everybody say, time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Say amen. The Father is looking for those that worship him that way. So, the story goes on to verse 42, and it says that the woman ran back into the village, told all her uh, uh, neighbors, this is what has happened. They too, they came out, and they met with Jesus, and then they asked Jesus to stay. He stayed, and then he shared more with them, and everybody, most people in that village actually, were saved. What happened? They were delivered. So, what was the effect of this deliverance? The veil that, that blinded their eyes, that erroneous doctrine that they had been relying on, that you know what, we have to be in a certain place to worship. We, uh, we cannot um, reach out, for example, and, and bring the pagans into our midst and have them see the light of Christ shining in us. That doctrine was shredded. The veil was removed from their eyes. So you can imagine what happened from that singular act. The villages close to that Samaritan village will begin to receive Christ. Isn't it? Without Jesus even visiting them. And then the light will continue to shine from one village to another village to another village until that entire region dedicates their life to Jesus. Hallelujah. So, Jesus didn't need to perform any sign and wonder in that place. All he had to do was just cause his light to shine on the woman. And the woman's light shone on her neighbors. And in their neighbors, their light will shine on their other neighbors. And God's name be glorified in Jesus' name. Number four. Pharaoh. I like this one. The small letter G, God. <laughs> who ruled the realm until it was introduced to Yahweh. The big letter G, God. <laughs> the story is from Exodus 3. So it's a long chapter. Go do your research as well. I just pick out some few verses. In verse 3. In chapter 5, pardon me, in verse 2, when Pharaoh was introduced to Yahweh, this is his first response. Is that so? Pharaoh replied. And who is this Lord? Who is this Yahweh? Why should I listen to him and let the Israelite go? They are, my, they are my property. I don't know this Lord and I will not let Israel go. <laughs> and then the battle begun. Pharaoh's magician, uh, Moses will do something. Pharaoh's magicians will, will try it as well, you know. Um, uh, uh, it got to a point. The magicians began to tell Pharaoh. They too began to woman say, "This is the finger of God." In in chapter eight, verse eighteen, this is the finger of God. But guess what? Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. He refused to let the people go. It was plague after plague. Pharaoh still adamant. Go to verse nine and uh, chapter nine, verse fifteen and sixteen. By now, this is um, God speaking. 
I could have lifted my hand and struck your people with plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. But I have spared you for a purpose to show you my power and spread my fame throughout the earth. God was saying to Pharaoh, you know what? I could have delivered my people in sins, but I just want everybody to know about my fame. And of course, somewhere along there, you will see about God's fame. Fast forward again to verse 27 of that um, um, chapter. It says, then Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aram. He said, this time, I have seen. This person I was asking a few moments ago, who is Yahweh? He said, I have sinned against Yahweh. He confessed. The Lord is the righteous one. <laughs> and my people and I are wrong. Please beg him to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We have had enough. I will let you go. But guess what? Typical of the enemy. He still was adamant. He did not allow them go. Fast forward to chapter 11. Now the Lord told Moses earlier, Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will do even more mighty miracles. This is God saying that I will do signs and wonders in this place. So God continued to deal blow after blow after blow until chapter 12. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. He says what? Get out. Get out. Leave my people and take the rest of Israelites and go. Go and worship this your God as you have requested. Take your flocks, take your children, <laughs> leave us alone. Go. And great deliverance came. But Moses said to the people when they had um, left Israel and they were camped by the sea. And Pharaoh again, out of his stubbornness, decided to chase them. When they were camped by the sea, Moses said to the people in, verse, in chapter 14, verse 13, he says, Moses told the people, don't be afraid, but stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians, you see this day, you will not see them again. Amen. So, what was God doing here? God was doing signs and wonders. But why? Because he was trying to send this strong message out to the entire world. The entire world. So that everybody would know that Jehovah was God. Or Jehovah is God. How, why, why do we say this? If you go to Je um, Joshua 2, verse 10 and 11. When Joshua and the Israelites were about to take the city of Jericho. Rahab the prophet said to them that because of those things that God was doing, those deliverance, the signs and wonders, God has put fear and trembling in all our hearts. Everybody already knows about this, your God. So I don't want to even join these people in resisting you. Instead, I will plan with you for you to take over Jericho, your spies, because your God is God. So Pharaoh at first needed to know this God. He said he didn't know this God. God introduced, God did signs and wonders for three, three purposes. Number one, to introduce himself to Pharaoh. Number two, to get the confidence of the elders of Israel. And number three, to get his fame to spread to the ends of the earth. God was doing signs and wonders so that the pagans could know about him, hear about him, and dedicate their lives to him. So personally, my research, I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where God was doing signs and wonders for the strengthening and edification of the church. I repeat that. I don't see where God was doing signs and wonders for the strengthening and edification of the church. But I believe it was for the conversion of the unbelieving world so that they may come to know and trust and serve this Yahweh, this Jehovah. But I see in the scriptures spiritual gifts being poured out on the church 
so that the body of Christ can be edified. It's a classic example. During the videos, if we were here, pastor called out a few people. They came, and they were talking about the spiritual gifts. They were shamed from the spiritual gifts God had given to them. Why? So that people could be delivered without any form of signs and wonders. God didn't need to come down and split this auditorium into half so that some people that had been battling with some sicknesses would say, oh, that's God. Oh, I believe, I believe I'm healed. No. Instead, he put it in the wall of his son from the pulpit. What went forth? People caught it. People caught the spirit. They were prophesying. People were being re- released of their captivity. Chains were being broken. Hallelujah. Without any shaking or shredding of our curtains or our tapestry or whatever we have. Glory to God. So, a person, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 14.4, a person who speaks in tongue is, is strengthened personally, but one who speaks the word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. And that's what we saw from our brothers and our sisters. And I believe there's so much more, like Pastor said, that I shared, but we're not able to share all for time. So, now we're looking at the effect of this deliverance on Pharaoh. What was the effect? The whole world came to know the supreme God because of Pharaoh and what God did in Israel, in Egypt. The whole world came to know the supreme God. So my prayer is that because of the victory the Lord will give unto us, the whole world will come to know our God in Jesus' name. Amen. And number five, the fifth one, last one, consider the fact that um, God sent Joseph through all the hardship, sold to slavery, almost killed, sent to prison, became the prime minister of Israel, of Egypt. What, what's, why did God make that happen? So I'll leave that blank for you to fill. What was God trying to teach us from that? What was the effect of Israel's deliverance through Joseph? Because verse, 40, verse 7 of um, Genesis 45 says, this is Joseph talking, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity in the earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are we together? Okay. So in the context of this teaching again, we're looking at deliverance from Teshua. I repeat, which means salvation, deliverance through, by God, um, through human help, victory, rescue, and safety. Amen. So um, there's a scripture there, um, 2 Corinthians 3, from verse 14 to, um, from verse, 2 Corinthians 3, up until, reading from verse uh, 14 to 18, and then we'll skip a few and read uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 6. It says, their minds were closed and hardened, for even to this day, that same veil covers their minds when they hear the word of the former covenant. The veil has not been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So, until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with open heart, what happens? The veil is lifted and they see. When we turn to God with an open heart, the veil is lifted and we see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. For wherever the Holy Spirit is, there is freedom. We can draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, all of us become like what? Mirrors. 
who brightly reflects the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are being transformed into his very image as we move from one brighter level, light, to another brighter level of the glory of the Lord, glorious transformation from, that comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Hallelujah. If you go to um, chapter 4, it says in um, verse 4, verse 3, if our gospel is veiled, remember chapter 3 was saying this is what it should be. Our, gospel, our eyes should be open. Our gospel shouldn't be veiled. But chapter 4 says even if it is veiled, this is why it is veiled. Because why? Our hearts and our minds are blinded. And it goes on to say that, for God said, let the light shine out of darkness. God was saying, let light shine out of darkness. It is the one, it is the one who cascaded this light into our lives. I'm reading the Passion Translation. The brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we get into the face of Jesus. So, what, are we, what am I trying to say? When we look into this passage, we see God's heart for people to interact with the light so that their lives can be flooded with light. Everyone, saved and unsaved alike. Because some people that are saved still have some form of veil blinding their eyes in their, in their belief, in their thinking. I'll explain that in a, few, in, a few, in a few seconds. We see deliverance in the sense of signs and wonders, but not in the sense of one's mind being open. Like um, chapter 3 was saying, it says that our mind should be open, the veil should be shredded, so that the fullness of God's glory can shine forth into our lives. So the question is this, if the Bible is saying our, our veil should be shredded so that God's fullness should shine forth in our lives, the question to you is, what areas of your life, what areas of my life do I need deliverance from? This is not talking about deliverance from um, um, afflictions, because I believe that the afflictions that we're, we're battling with have been broken in the name of Jesus because the prophetic word has gone for shine. We've been dealing with sicknesses, diseases, cancer healed, people that had bone issues. Those words have come over with testimonies. But pastor was saying to us, if you, if you were here for light forward, that you know, God uses um, athletes and, and soldiers to, to that doctrine to depict the kind of posture we should take, discipline, what was he saying? He was saying to us that for, for those of us that are believers and trusting God for something, we shouldn't be looking too, too much to the superfluous, the superficial, but to remove the veil, our old ways of thinking. So what areas of our lives do we need deliverance? I put a few. You can put a few yourself. For example, disdaining prophecies. There's some people that will hear the things that go for light. says, light again. They said light. What is light? Instead, you should receive. The Bible says those words are for you to war. Rather than scoff at prophecy, you should receive prophecy. What about doubt, fear, and worry? Doubt, fear, and worry. Some people are control freaks. They want to control every situation. But God is saying we should leave control to him. He says, be still and know that I am God. So, for, for example, yours could be negative thoughts. Stinking thinking. You, you don't understand why, why you think the way you think. Deliverance has come. Rather than wait for the, the, the superficial, the grand one, why not trust God that in my kind of thinking, the way I've been thinking has been getting me into trouble, God has delivered me and will deliver me in this season. Hallelujah. It could also be knowledge without application, just accumulating knowledge. You're everywhere. Someone just goes from crusade to crusade to deliverance session to deliverance session from one man of God to another man of God, just collecting. The Bible says faith without works is dead. That's it. If you don't apply the one... 
the words that have gone forth from this pulpit is enough to change any life. If you don't apply the one that you are receiving here, there's no one that will give you outside that will work for you. None. None. Hallelujah. So, what about misuse of opportunities? Opportunities are given, you misuse them. Or abuse of office or power. You know, recently, if you notice, over and over again, pastor has been stressing on how we treat our minions, how we treat people that work with us. Do we treat them with respect? It's a question to wrestle with. I, I mean, I've been wrestling with this question with my wife as well. Do we treat them with respect? How do we treat people? So, if this, that word is being stressed, it means that there's something, there's a promise tied to it. So, what deliverance is there? Deliverance is obey that word and you see God move in your life. If that word has been repeated over and over again, it means that there are possibly multiple of us that are not paying attention to the way we treat people. We're excusing it by, well, what about me? What about me? What about me? The instruction is treat them with respect. What should I do? I would align with what I have been told and trust God for the blessing that comes to treating these people with respect. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Okay, so quickly we'll breeze through the conditions of deliverance. Number one is repent. Romans 12, um, 2. Not repent as in give your life to Christ. Of course, if you're here and you're not saved, don't leave this place. It's a perfect time for you to give your life to Christ. Or if you're here and you are in a backsliding state, give your life to Christ. But repentance we're talking about here is the same one we're talking about. Change the way you have been thinking, the way you have been seeing. If you are 30-something years, like the man, 38 years old, no change. You should be worried. You should be worried. Change what you have been doing. Change the equation and see God move. So, what are practical ways to repent? Fix your mind on eternity. Fill your mind with gratitude. Appreciate people and things in your life more than you criticize them. Those are good ways to repent. Number two, believe. Believe. From um, John 4, the story about the, um, the official that was asking God to come and heal his son. Jesus come and heal his son. Jesus said, go, your son is healed. The man, what did he do? He believed and he went home. Belief is backed with obedience. You can't say, I believe and you're not obeying. Believe. Believe. And move on. And God would, would meet you at the point of that belief in Jesus' name. Number three is trust. Trust. I did a bit of research to see the difference between trust and belief. Trust means, belief means to have confidence in truth, the existence of the reality of something, although, this is the qualifying factor, although without absolute proof that one is doing, doing, that what one is doing, although without absolute proof that one is right in believing that person, you don't have absolute proof, that's belief but you are choosing to rely on that thing. Trust, on the other hand, is reliance on that person or that thing's integrity. You are relying on his ability, his character, his surety, because you know that the person or that thing is true. And I saw a quote that, that summarizes these two together. It says, it is possible to believe someone but not trust them, but until they end your trust fully. Therefore, trust is more of an act of reliance based on accepting something to be true. Believe, on the other hand, is used to show one's acceptance for another's words. Trust is used to demonstrate reliance on God's overall character. Trust. Trust. Hallelujah. So for time, I'll just give you the remaining two. Number four is humility, and number five 
is commit to a dedicated service. We need to commit to a dedicated service. Commit to a dedicated service. What is humility? Pastor has taught over and over again. It is power under control. It comes from the root word, root word humus, earth, ground. Someone is on the ground. It is power under control. The problem with many of us is that we, we easily pick ourselves up from situations. We want to uh, fight something or what. we run out of a discomfort this comforting situation by ourselves. Anyway, it could be that God has put us there so that he could deliver us, not by signs and wonders, but by just allowing the word of God to come in because the entrance of his word brings light. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, I will end with, um, I'll end with this, this brief, um, with a brief story. Um, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 2009, um, I remember coming into church straight from the streets um, for a God to do the service. And typical of pastor, he was saying that um, in this service, don't, don't wait for anybody to lay hands on you because the Spirit of God here and the Spirit of God will touch you. I mean, if you've been in the God to do the service, it's something you hear regularly. And I remember um, just standing there and thinking to myself that, because I, I never believed in signs and wonders anyway. I believe those things were staged. I remember standing there and thinking, oh, there they go again. But at the time, I, I, used, to, I used glasses and I, I was suffering from astigmatism. But I was looking at the board, uh, the screen, and I couldn't see clearly with my glasses. I take them off, I could see clearly. I put them back, it was blurry. Put, you know, like I'm using a magnifying glasses. So I took it off and... In that service, what had happened, I'd been healed. I'd been healed completely of an astigmatism that I'd been battling with since my late days. Hallelujah. If you're clapping, let's clap onto the Lord. An astigmatism that I'd battled since my um, late secondary school to university days. So, at that point, deliverance came simply by a spoken word. Not because pastor levitated and then called on fire or he touched me and I fell, you know. I'm trying to bring out something here, just by a spoken word. And what happened? Fast forward, look at my life. Nine, ten years down the line, I'm standing before you, I'm, I'm trying to teach you. So God took that life, impacted that life by word, and used that life, and wants to use that life to impact other people. Same applies to every one of us here. God has saved you for a purpose, delivered you, not necessarily to signs and wonders, but so that you can also go forth and deliver people. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lord. So the question is, what will your response be today? Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Is it going to